Hi, it's Jeff, host of the podcast. My latest author interview will be up in just one moment. I'm not going to ask you to buy anything. I'm not going to ask you to go and review the podcast. What I am going to do is take just one brief moment and ask you to recommend the podcast to just one friend. If you're a writer or if you're someone who just loves books and you love this podcast and the interviews that I do, all that I ask is that you recommend the podcast to just one friend. Thanks a lot. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Jane Schimmel, author of the new book, The Patient. Jane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your novel, The Patient, how would you describe the novel? Well, um, it's a story about an affluent middle-aged GP who lives in a country town, a market town called Salisbury in, in the south of England. And she has a very routine life. She's very respected in her community. She's married. She has a child. She has all those things that you think people need and want for a respectable kind of life. But one day she meets a patient in her surgery. And as a result of this meeting that's prolonged, she finds herself having an electrifying affair, breaking really every rule in the book. This has unforeseen and disastrous consequences culminating in murder. And it's a story really uh, that I wanted to write because one of the themes is mental health, the other is second chances. And I also wanted to investigate how shocking events can play out in a small town community. That's great. I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Patient? Well, I think like all ideas for a quite a complex project, it came from several places, but there was one event that occurred really many years ago. I mean, this has been buried in my subconscious for a long time because I was a doctor before I became a writer. And before I was a doctor, I was a medical student. And one day I was in casualty, kind of waiting to see what happened because that's a useful way to learn. And in came this young lad who was in the grip of a severe psychosis, manic depression. And he was very arresting because he was walking up and down, talking 19 to the dozen, disheveled, eyes glittering. But, and he said, I always remember, he said he felt like an aeroplane running down the, the, the runway, about to take off, fully charged. And funnily enough, I knew exactly what he meant because <laughs> I was quite wired myself as a sleepless medical student. Well, as, as, as anybody who's sleepless, these kind of things can happen. You can kind of feel the edges of mania yourself. Nothing like the true and dreadful disease of psychosis, the illness. But all the same, I felt a kind of kinship. And I've never really forgotten him or, or the lesson about how we're all on, we're all on a line. We share a baseline. And although you do have to go very far down it and cross, Aligned to be seriously ill, we do share our humanity in this, in the areas of feeling unwell or different mentally. And so 
I always thought, well, when I became a writer, I thought one day I might have the chance to talk about this young man in a different kind of way and try to reduce in some way the stigma that surrounds mental illness because it's actually growing, um, serious mental illness. The stigma against that is growing and reading is a great way to encourage empathy. So I think that's the original seed of the story, to be honest. Yeah. Right. Well, what was your writing journey that led you to write and get your first novel published? Well, it was a long journey. Um, I think it began at school when I absolutely loved reading and writing. That was the thing that kept me writing away in the attic. I remember <laughs> it. Um, I just used to spend my weekends doing that very nerdily um, for the pleasure of having the work read out and so forth. And then in my gap year, well, it wasn't a gap year back then. It was called Voluntary Service Overseas. I went off to what was then Rhodesia in the Highlands and Eastern Highlands, very beautiful, very remote, and joined a, a sort of missionary where there was one doctor and it was obvious there wasn't enough doctors to go around. And I thought, well, I'll go away, train and come back. And I came from a medical family too, so that pressure was there a bit. And um, I thought one day I'll, I'll come back to writing. I always read. I always read, which was the link. And But it was only after I had my family of five kids, I didn't go back, at least I didn't go back straight away, and um, that space began to open up again. So quite late on then, um, I kind of had the chance when my girls went to university, I had three boys, but they were a very tight group at home. And that was when my daughter said, you know, go and write, go and start it, mum. You know you want to. I didn't know she knew. And I did a diploma then while being a GP. And then I made the decision because I loved it so much that um, I'd do an MA and that's and then as a result of the MA, I had found an agent at the launch we did of our anthology. Everybody in this MA year submitted a, a chapter. And then that was sent to agents all over the country. We met and uh, they all came and met us, not all of them obviously, but quite a bunch came and met us in foils in London. And that's where I found an agent. And then she got me my publishing deal. And it all happened quite fast, actually, which was lovely. That's so that, that's that's it in a nutshell, really. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what was your writing process when you were working on the patient? And I'm curious, is it the same from book to book? Did you outline the novel before you started writing? Or do you just have a vague idea and jump into the narrative? How does that work for you? Um, you know, it's, it's a really... Uh, I'm always asked this question, and if I was really honest, I would ramble for ages. So I <laughs> will tell you kind of the an answer that's true but doesn't capture the whole kind of messy process. I, I think at the beginning I try out an idea. It's sort of roaming around in my head, and then I do a mind map by hand on a piece of paper um, with the idea, the central idea, or character, and little lines off like a sort of spider diagram mm -hmm. of all the things that I could bring into this story. You know, somebody's family, his friends, his enemies, his setting, what might happen in the end. And then, and then I think what I do then is to write a chapter, headings really, just headings, so that makes a pass. And that is the beginning of the story. It's a path 
and I do roughly know where I'm going to go, or the ending is very open because that changes as the story develops. And, you know, like all paths you go down, you, you, if you have time, you give yourself permission to wander off. And that's what happened, really. Um, I think that's the outline, but of course it's full of times when you go fast. I did a, a writing retreat while writing the story, and we all woke up one morning, and the, the brief was we'd sit down and write by pen, as it were, or pencil, you know, on your pad. Mm-hmm. I remember doing 10,000 words in about two hours. I was so on fire. So that went in the book. But mostly I I write on my laptop because although I love writing by hand, you've only got to write it all again <laughs> on your laptop. So, you know, time, you don't want to spend that much time doing it. Yeah. So have you started working on another novel now? I've, I've finished the next novel. Well, when I say finished, I've handed it in um, because there was time in between the edits last year. We know mm-hmm. it, we know well, twenty-two. I I don't I can't remember when I started it, but um, it, it's been handed in, and I'm actually into the next one. But that will have to stop when my edits come back because I expect there'll be quite a few things to change. And I'm curious with the novels that you've written. Um, what has the editing process been? Have you ever gotten editing editorial feedback where you had to go in and spend, you know, a lot of time making huge changes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends a bit it's on, well, the novel and the editor. I mean, my first book, which actually did quite well, I I spent some time with my I was with my agent before we got a deal. And I mm-hmm. remember um, my agent's assistant actually read it and he put a red line through most of my cherished first chapter. And I'll never forget what that felt like. <laughs> and, and then another book, yeah, I remember I had something like 14 pages of edits. And honestly, I felt as I'd been felled by a cricket bat. I thought, I, how am I going to do this? And then you kind of pick yourself up and, one of the advantages of doing the MA is that you learn that um, that that usually if you pay attention to edits, it makes your story stronger. So although at the beginning it can be something to get your head around, usually if you do it, and of course you're bringing your own creativity to the process, you're not. Nobody's going to tell you exactly how to make the changes mm-hmm. that they suggest. And so you're bringing your own idea. So you make it your own. But honestly, usually, if you do most of the edits, the story gets stronger. Or most of the, you know, and sometimes it just means cutting things out. Sure. And, and that's okay. You know, that's okay. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. And what was your MA experience like? Oh, God, it was wonderful. It was absolutely, it was like, really like going to heaven. I mean, it was bliss. <laughs> After a career in medicine, and I I did arts A-levels. I'm really, you know, much more literary than scientific. 
But I loved being a doctor because, you know, seeing patients is all about stories, but then it's also all about control of hypertension and protocols for renal disease. And I couldn't believe it. You know, suddenly you were in this room with people and you were allowed to talk about books and writing and structure and the importance of place, those kind of things and editing. And honestly, it was so wonderful doing that. I kept thinking, am I really allowed to do this? Am I really allowed to spend the entire day talking about, you know, my favorite authors or how I go about writing or the improvements to my chapter? And we had really good published authors as our tutors. So I just kind of drank it all in. And it was in this stunning place where you had to walk. It was a it was the house that belonged to the Messuan publishing family, um, Caution Court. And so you walk every morning when you went, you walked across a lawn which was full of peacocks. <laughs> and they would make their extraordinary otherworldly noises throughout the day. So my memory rings of the noise of peacock calls. Oh, it was just wonderful. Yeah. That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Um, I think that's a tricky one because, you know, I'm not sure I would presume to give advice really um, because everybody has their own different methods and you don't want to destabilize that. But, I mean, I suppose the kind of usual ones are that it's, well, it's much harder than you think it's going to be. Sorry, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> but I always remember my mum saying when I went off to have a baby, it's much worse than you think it's, you know, everybody <laughs> has this sort of clue in that it's a wonderful experience, but it's actually not. And I think it's quite important as a writer to know that really there's not a lot of inspiration that goes on. You know, if you wait for inspiration, you wait a long time. And I think that's quite a good thing to know because it means it's not magic. It means it's not beyond your reach. If you work very hard, I think if you read a lot and if you prepared to honestly work hard and not give up, because it is, there's an awful lot of times that it's very tempting to give up and nobody's there. You know, you don't have to go and sit down at nine or eight or seven in the morning or whenever you start and nobody watches how long you have off for lunch. So it's very, you know, you could just not do it or do it a little bit. Um, so that is a lesson. And the other thing I'd say is that publishing is a business. And, you know, it's not, I mean, it's done by people who love books, but it's also a business. And so books are big business, and that's quite useful to know too. Sure. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Nonfiction. Or novels. Or novels. Oh, gosh, I meant to prepare for this because this is an awful <laughs> place that suddenly you can't remember. Let me have a look at my bookcase, which is right behind it. Beautiful. Sure. <laughs> Some of you can't see it. It's one of the prides in my life. Um, well, I read The High House by Jesse Greengrass, which I loved, which is a kind of a novel about the end of the world, really, and about tides rising and climate change. I read The Lamplighters, Jesse Stoneck. I read, I tell you what's a wonderful book, is Assembly by Natasha Brown. That is just a brilliant book. And so is Lester by, what's that by? Was it Raven Milani? 
I can't remember, but that's wonderful. Um, I've just gone back to read The Essex Serpent because that's being televised at the moment. And that is just by Sarah, Sarah Perry. Is that right? Yeah, that's excellent. I'd forgotten how good it was. That, you know, often if you, it's very different from the television, um, which is very good. And that reminds me about The English Patient, which is one of my absent all-time favourites, Michael and Darcy, which also was a wonderful film, but an even better book, I think. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels? Um, well, I'm on Twitter and I've got a website. I'm, of course, you're going to ask me what my things are now, and I don't think I know. I mean, I think I'm Jane Shemelt on Twitter, at Jane Shemelt. I'm on Instagram. Jane Shemelt, I think. And I've got a website, which is that's on great. my Twitter page. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Jane Shemelt, author of the new novel, The Patient. The novel is available now. So go buy a copy. And Jane, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, it's at the end. Well, I've really enjoyed it. My lawyer advised me to write everything down from the beginning. But it didn't have a beginning. Not like that. I'd been walking towards this for years. If I had to pick a time, I'd go back to the moment I parked my car in the almost empty car park five months ago. I needn't have done that. I could have gone straight home. I nearly did. Up to that point, the gods could have swerved me from my path, and I'd be at home with my husband now, instead of sitting in a brightly lit custody cell on my own. The lights in the health centre reception were still on, which was strange at eight in the evening. Carol must be working late, waiting for me to return the medical notes after my weekly visit to Sarum Nursing Home. I had several bundles, lifetimes of problems and investigations, letters and results squashed untidily into pale brown cardboard envelopes. We kept those bundles for visits because they were portable and we were used to them. A link with the past, when doctors had more time. Roger Morris, the senior partner, liked them. The writing itself was a clue for other doctors, he said. A scrawled exclamation mark spoke volumes. I almost didn't return them. Nathan would be at home. He might have started supper. We'd agreed to make an effort. I'd promised to play my part. But the notes belonged in the practice, and if I took them home, I'd be breaking a rule. Back then, I was still a good girl, as Nathan would say, or at least I went by the rules. It would take just a few minutes to dump them in the tray. I indicated right into the car park and drove through the gates. I'd leave straight afterwards, drive home through Salisbury's quiet streets, and then the quieter ones of the cathedral close and still be back in time for supper. We'd watch the ten o'clock news, and one of us would take the dog for a last walk. Nathan would check the doors were locked, and then we'd go to bed. We wouldn't have sex. Sex was rare these days. Nathan was preoccupied, and the truth was, I didn't want to make love. I couldn't remember when we last had, but I remembered the soreness, hormones, or the lack of them, lack of desire, too. Sweating could overtake me at night. Headaches as well, piercing sometimes. Tiredness, mine and Nathan's. It was both our busy lives, 
and no one's fault. We were close, close enough, or so I thought. Sex didn't really matter. It didn't have to affect anything. Though I see now that it did. It affected everything. Our bedside lights fell separately on the pillows. The room was quiet apart from the rustling as we turned the pages of our books. It was a measured life, safe, calm, enviable. After ten minutes, Nathan would put his book down, switch off his light, turn away and fall asleep. I'd lie awake, sometimes for hours, as the cathedral bells tolled each quarter hour. I'd think about Lizzie and my patients and the list of things I had to do the next day. Results and visits, letters and meetings, patients to contact, until my heart was beating fast and the lists became muddled. I'd get up to make a cup of tea and then back to bed again. I'd listen to the cars that passed and watch the watery lozenges of light slide across the ceiling and disappear. Soothing, mysterious, companionable. Carol's Kia was in the surgery car park next to Debbie's Ford. There was a red Mercedes, too, parked across two spaces, the roof down in February. Someone who had tickets to whatever was showing at Salisbury Playhouse, probably, out to impress a date and too late to find parking. Had there been another car, parked at the far corner, where the overhanging trees make the tarmac slimy with rotten leaves? There might have been, I didn't notice. It was dark by then, darker under the branches. I glanced at my reflection in the gleaming metal of the Mercedes, lit by the lights from the surgery. A small, forward-slanting figure with wind-blown hair. It was lucky it was too late to encounter patients. My escape would be swift.